Hello, podcasters. Welcome back to another episode of Improper Mimi. This is your host, Mimi Jacks, and I know we're a little off publishing our normal bi-weekly episodes, but I had a pretty busy week. I was able to get away and do some biking, golfing, visit a winery, and most importantly, to be able to celebrate life in the remembrance of love, family, and friends. However, I did not want to let August go by without talking about Black Women's Equal Pay Day. Shout out to all the ladies out there who are negotiating job offers and calibrating their pay. So did you know that the Black Women's Equal Pay Day fell on August 13th, 2020? Many people at work did not know this and so I also explained it to them as well. Basically, August 13th symbolized how far into this year that black women on average had to work in order to earn what white non-Hispanic men have earned throughout 2019. So today on Improper Mimi, I'm going to sit down with Kelly Roselle, marketing director at ABC News and self-proclaimed millennial miser to talk about negotiating some of those job offers and saving the coins that we have. Yes, so I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Um, I am the marketing director for ABC News. Um, I have kind of moved around in multiple marketing roles. So, I mean, I think in general, I love being able to take a product and, you know, finding creative ways to push it out to consumers and viewers. I mean, in my case, in, in television, um, you know, we're driving tune in. So there's so many different ways that it can be done. You know, social media has changed the game and I've, you know, been lucky to have to have had to navigate uh, my career starting in a more traditional marketing role and then being introduced to social and digital at the same time that social was kind of making an impact. So uh, being able to be a part of the the group that was like kind of pioneering what what it looks like for for television networks so i can do everything from a social media campaign to you know the coolest event which i mean as we know now there's not a whole ton of events <laughs> happening these days sure. uh so thank god that i do have a backup of digital and social but um so i, I think that's really what drives me is is being able to you know have this really cool balance of uh being creative and business-minded so yeah. yeah and have you and that sounds also interesting especially with like the social media and keeping um up to date and a pulse on what's going on in the world around yeah. you. Um, and even as we were talking about how I was mentioning earlier about uh, Black women's equal pay date, is that something, have you ever heard of that before? Like, is, have you heard of that date before? I had not heard of that date, but I do know from working in social media that there is a holiday for everything. <laughs> and not to say that right. that should not be, we should absolutely be, if, if we need to designate a day to talk about it then let's yeah. do it sure yeah. i have never really heard of it before this year um some of my friends working in like uh, diversity and inclusion lately have been posting about it and i heard about it a few weeks ago and i knew that there was a woman's equal pay day and i'm like that was earlier this year that was so long ago yeah. but basically you know when we break it down by race the equal pay day for white women here in America was back in March, March 31st. But when you look at black women earning about 62 cents to a dollar of a white man, 
then that's why August 13th is the Black Women's Equal Pay Day. Um, Native American women is further out even in October and Latina women is out in I think like October 29th or 28th, something like that. Do, do so, you have any idea of why they spread the dates out like that? I mean, oh, it's, it's actually based on the amount per dollar. So that's how far into the year that black women have to work to equal the $1 that the white man made. And so the same for Latinas as well, that all the way into October, which is almost a year, that's three quarters of the year, you know, on average that, that they have to work in order to make the same amount that white men made last year. That's crazy. I'm, I'm, I'm actually really glad that there is a really solid reasoning and it's like, yeah. you know, that, that backs the data. So that's yeah. Cool. yeah, there's a few different organizations that are tracking this. They're tracking, you know, like compensation and pay like over the year and over different races. Um, but yeah, I was telling some of the guys at work, I was like, yeah, it's a thing, it's a day. And, you know, as they're talking about, oh, yeah, I think people should be paid based on the work that they do and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, in my head, you know, I'm thinking true. But, you know, a lot of this is based on previous um, what people have been used to. So in corporate real estate and in construction and, you know, different fields that I'm familiar with there, women may not have always been in those fields. And now that's kind of how their the men's salary was based previously yeah. and women you know were not the head of house way back when so the it wasn't as important for them to have an equal salary base but it, it just made me start thinking about my career and maybe you could think about your career too of how many times have we negotiated for our job offers versus how many times someone said this is what the job pays and you're like okay thanks i'll yep. take it right <laughs> and, and and i think it i think a lot of that comes down to the level that you're going in at i mean you probably don't have as much uh bandwidth to negotiate when you're coming in as a coordinator or an assistant but if you're looked at as an exec executive level mm -hmm. um, at your job you may have a little bit more wiggle room to say no this is what i would really want and need to leave either leave my company and and that's another part are you are yeah. you leaving or are you like are you already out there looking because you you know it i think there are so many things that go into it that depend on the actual circumstances my my first record label job, you know, they paid me $200 a week, basically, mm -hmm. uh, as an independent contractor or a freelancer. And I worked 50, 60 something hours a week. I was never, mm -hmm. I was never not working. I was in college full time and I was working full time for Rockefeller records. Right. And, um, you know, it wasn't the nicest environment. I mean, I learned a lot. I would not take it back to save my life, but like, was it worth $200 a week? Uh, I mean, I should have got paid more. Um, yeah. Will that ever happen again? Of course not. Mm -hmm. Now that we're at a certain place, um, have had a couple of jobs, we know what we like, what we don't like, what we're going to put up with, what we're not going to put up with. And those are some of the things that kind of build into having that confidence to be able to negotiate. Yeah. I can remember I had my daughter young, so I I'm, was a young single mom and I was just trying to get a job out of college. And 
you know, I got the job offer. I was like, yeah, okay, great. Thanks. I was like, wow, that's more than I made before. But yeah. then I think my second job also, I didn't really negotiate either. I was like, oh, okay. That's what you're offering. Great. I'll take it. And then throughout, and I was with that company for like 14 years and they were steady with the pay raise and the promotions and stuff. So I was good. And then they were acquired. And then there was a whole shift in management. And then I was like, oh, so nothing's really changing. Nothing's really happening. And I'm like, how am I going to adjust my pay, my salary when I'm doing so much? And I think by then I, I kind of realized, like you say, you know, when you're coming in at different levels, you, you're more familiar and you're more confident about what you're worth. Then, so like my first job in corporate America, again, in music industry, I went from making $200 a week to make, I think they, I think my first label job with benefits, I made probably like $35,000 a year. And of course I'm like, Oh, I was making 200 a week. I'll take it. Yeah. Um, and, and it doesn't seem like a lot, but like, you know, I will say every job that I've had, I made sure I leveled up. So it always felt, you know, it always felt like I was really getting more and more ahead with every jump. And then I switched from music to TV. So I was like, oh, shit, I'm, I'm, I'm balling. balling. Like, yeah. You know, I'm finally making 50000 a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I was able to get overtime. So like yeah. that can help. You might have a $50,000 salary and overtime you walk away with seventy. Like, mm-hmm. so that's how I found ways to level up there. And then, you know, and then I left one TV network and went to another. Mm-hmm. And that one was known for being competitive in the, in the market. So... I think I uh, lowballed myself, to be perfectly uh, honest. And they came mm-hmm. back and told me they were going to give me like five, six thousand more than I asked for. And I thought that was life changing for me. So yeah. like, it, it's always worked out, and I've always managed to level up. But there probably have been times where I definitely lowballed myself. And I even like at the level I am now, I try to make sure that I'm not. But like, but it also depends on the company. Sometimes you know the company is not going to pay you you know, industry, a competitive industry salary, but is it worth it? Because at a certain point in your career, you're going to start choosing your boss. Like that's where you're Mm going to start making, you know, your decisions. Like, who am I going to work for? What am I going to be doing? What is this brand going to do for me? Like, how is this going to affect my work-life balance? Am I going to be working 90 hours a week or do I, am I going to be able to go to work comfortable or am I going to have to wear a suit every day? I'm curious to ask, you know, what you think about how does this whole job negotiation thing come into play now during COVID? Like, I know a few people have been getting new jobs or starting new jobs. I'm like, okay, right. Yeah. Like people are starting jobs remotely and I'm like, okay, good. But like, how do you negotiate when everyone's trying to just, I just want to work. I just want a job. Yeah. Again, I think it, I think it, this is, you know, this is an extreme situation, but I think right. that if you look pre-COVID, you probably would handle it. Like, am I looking for a job because I don't have a job? Is the company that I'm going to, are they like in a good 
place with with this pandemic because some companies are still thriving. Mm-hmm. I work in news, like news is essential and it's needed. You know, I think there's some nuance in that, like, you know, mm-hmm. with every company that relies, you know, partially on ad sales dollars. But, um, you know, I think it really depends on the company. Like, how are they staying afloat during this time? Mm-hmm. Are you working or are you unemployed? So, you know, I think those would definitely be the questions to ask. I know, you know, I I heard like my last job, um, you know, anybody who made over uh, six figures, made over a hundred thousand, they they took like a um say a ten to fifteen percent pay cut. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. you know, you may have to go in and just say, like, knowing that you might not make what you're gonna make, but yeah or what you would make normally, you might have to take a little bit of an L if you like the company, if you're excited about the role, if, you know, and, and I would say you even ask them what their plan is as far as that, considering we're in COVID, like, are you asking your hiring manager or your HR rep, like, once we're out of this, there may not be bonuses anymore. I understand that. But once we're out of this, are you going to go back to a competitive market rate? Like if, mm-hmm. if you think that the job is lowballing, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think that there's certain questions you can ask that that might help you understand whether, you know, you're going in at a at a COVID COVID rate. Right. <laughs> and if, that, if, if there's the potential for that to change once we're back and, and that might even show your interest in being with the company long term because because we don't know when this is going to end. Mm-hmm. I know, right? Like, is it even going to end? Like, I know some people were asking me, um, they were looking at jobs and they're like, well, do you think I should apply for a job if I don't live in that area? You know, cause everyone's working remote. And I'm like, that's something to consider, but it's also, well, what if you don't know when they're going to ask you to come in? You know, right. like, so you do kind of have to be on the up and up about, oh yes, I'm applying for a job in Tennessee, but I live in New York. Like how often- A lot, a lot of these companies are setting up policies for this. Like I, I even heard, you know, Facebook and, and my girls and I, before the Facebook thing was announced, like we were talking about this and cause they were like, well, we can work remotely. Like we can work wherever we want. So mm-hmm. we started talking about salary adjustments for yeah. working. And I'm of the thought of this can't be sustainable. There's no way if I decide, you know, if I work at Facebook in San Francisco in the Bay Area, which is like one of the highest, most expensive, you know, cities to live in in this country, you're telling me if I work for you at Facebook and I make $200,000 a year, but I decide that because I can work remote, I'm moving to North Carolina, you're going to pay me North Carolina market rate. I know there's no way that you can then because then what happens, what happens to, uh, to overhead costs and like, you know, head cap, like salary head caps. Like if, if I leave the company and you've adjusted my salary from 200,000 to say 80,000 or a hundred thousand, that's a hundred thousand dollar gap for the next person. What if the next person you're hiring is in an even more expensive market. Now you have to mm-hmm. now you have to find an additional fifty thousand up from two hundred thousand to accommodate. Like that just seems so unpredictable. It just yeah. does not seem sustainable to me that mm-hmm. any company could base it on your market because the market could change. I could move. You mm-hmm. know, like you're gonna change my salary if I move every year. 
Yeah. I was, I was reading something similar too, where is the job qualification, is that going to require me to, to specify, am I a remote employee that there's a certain salary band and I could live anywhere in the States? Or is this a position that is based out of San Francisco at a certain range and I can work remotely? Right. Those are going to be the small little hairs that you're right. They're going to start splitting and defining because yeah, I know plenty of people who are living at home either with their parents or they went out to the country or somewhere away from the city, not to be in such a high populated area, but they're still getting that city salary. Yeah. I personally think the salary should be dictated by where your brick and mortar headquarter, not, not just the headquarters of the company, but what office do you report into? Yeah. you Mm -hmm. report into a San Francisco location, then you should get paid San Francisco market, you know, value. If you report into a company that does business out of Charlotte, North Carolina, then it's adjusted for, you know, whatever that industry and whatever that market calls for. I don't know. That's a tough one because I mean, definitely looking at the sustainability for the company and the taxes and what they have to pay and everything. If you're It'd be great for me, you know, to to have a lower cost of living and still get the money. But yeah, getting paid based on your market. And I think it also has to do with what you do, you know, like the the type of work you do um, is something that can be done for anywhere or is it kind of specific that you, even though I'm sitting in North Carolina, I'm familiar with the landscape of New York and trends there and if I'm doing my job remotely, but I do it well, you know, and I know everything that's going on. And like you say, finger on the pulse, you know, know what's going on up there. Then yeah, I want my New York salary. (laughs) No, exactly. Hmm. So if we were to negotiate, do you have any like tips or um, recommendations? I know I was, um, I was kind of geeking out over the weekend. I was listening to, um, uh, to Boss St. John, because of course, you know, in my mind, we're friends, so I get his call Boss. But um, <laughs> I was listening to her talk about salary and negotiation and making that money. And yeah, she's definitely at that level where she can tell you what she wants. But she did have some good points about um, something I didn't think about before of like saying the number first. Like usually we're taught or we're trained to not tell them what we're looking for because we might lowball ourselves, but to let the company let us know what their range is and then tell them what we're looking for. And she was kind of with the mindset of, nah, go ahead and tell them what you want. And not to just say anything, you know, all out of the sky, but to know the market, know your worth, know your skill set, and to aim high. When they come back lower, then that's where the negotiation begins. But that also takes skill and practice because if you're not used to negotiating, then you may just fold. You may just go ahead and then say, oh, sorry, you know, this is our range and we can't go any higher. You'll be like, oh, okay, all right, I'll take it. Well, I think the key to that, like that, that one thing that I would pull from what she said is to make sure you know the market because if you don't, you're like, you're really just pulling numbers out of your ass, it seems. And you could end up turning a company off or... Mm -hmm you know, just putting yourself in a not ideal situation. Yes, a big key to negotiating is understanding the market. And Mm -hmm. there are certain industries out there right now, especially with like advertising, I've seen these spreadsheets floating around, you know, (laughs) they're starting to do like a, um, 
a white label or like, you know, stripping all of like the name and, you know, the personal information, Mm. but people are giving their titles, their companies, their salaries, their markets, like they're giving all that information. So I would say like, you know, depending on the industry somebody wants to, to, to work in, go to your glass store, go to your salary.com, go to Indeed, go to LinkedIn, and they offer those salary, you know, that those salary guides for like the role or whatever. But then also see if something like that exists in your industry where somebody started a Google Doc that people just continue to add to because I think there's a lot of valuable information there. I, I would say the key to negotiating is understanding, you know, the market and doing that sort of research. Um, you know, I came from, again, like I came from one network that paid really well to another network, but I knew when I went over there mm-hmm. that to make that jump or make that change, like they needed to give me more than, you know, than maybe the previous person had. So um, we made it work and I was able to negotiate and I got you know partially what I wanted, but I also was willing to take that jump because of my boss, who the boss was. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be on her team. Um, so it, it was a compromise, but I negotiated to the best of my ability and I think I walked away in a great place um, for mm-hmm. that company. Uh, you know, then when I left there to go to my current job, like I realized that now I'm going back into your world of like big corporate, you know, uh, (laughs) corporate America from this smaller independent startup vibe. And, um, so I knew that the negotiations would have to be different. And again, I think it worked out really well for me. Again, I don't know what everybody else makes, but I know <laughs> Did you that. like tack on an extra 20000 or something? Well, and there's other ways to negotiate it. It's not your salary. Yeah. Is there a signing bonus? Is there, you know, like are, other, are there other ways that you can get the money you want, even if it's like a one-off amount? Um, you know, are you leaving in the, at the, you know, bonuses come in what March that's when like reviews and that happens. So if you leave before then, but you've worked a full year at this company, you might be at risk at losing your bonus. You're allowed to say that to a company that you're going to, to say like, well, if I were, you know, if I didn't leave, I would be getting a $30,000 bonus. So yeah. Right. Can you do this? Like there, you know, I think that there's other ways to negotiate that aren't always directly um, salary. Yeah, definitely. Because I love my vacation time. I love to travel. Yep. So yep. I know one time I started a new job and like two weeks later I was out. I was on like two week vacation. <laughs> so, you know, like that's, you know, other things like that to negotiate too. But like, um, okay, so I know this job has this salary and it only has this many vacation days, but can you give me a few extra vacation days? And by the way, I already have one that I'm committed to. So, right. you know, like I threw yeah. that in there. There's too. always one you're committed to. <laughs> always no one that I'm already committed to. Job, you're always committed to a vacation. Like, yeah, yeah. No, what I will say, like, also, like, make sure you're comfortable. Like, does it, if you're going to leave one job and it's a, whether it's a lateral move or, you know, considered a promotion, think about that percentage increase in salary like ideally like again know the market so don't lowball yourself mm-hmm. but like i know back when i was at um a and e tv and the, the former head of the company had a rule like you cannot 
go from like, say you're going from a specialist to manager, you cannot get more than 20% increase. So mm-hmm. like, I kind of look at like moving around like that. Like sometimes you have to leave to get more. Yeah. So, you know, if you're going to a company and you're going as a, from a senior manager to a director, like, are you at least getting 15, 10 to 15% more than what you're currently making? Um, that should be like the bare minimum threshold, I feel like, unless you completely do not like the environment you're in and you want to be at this new company. But also just remember that once you get into that role, you're not going to be able to make those big jumps within the company, you know, salary for when you get your promotions. Sometimes you got to leave to come back to the same company to get paid what you feel like you were worth. So you really do have to be mindful and smart about it because once you're locked into that salary, your raises are going to be according to that starting point. Exactly. Yeah. I I was talking to someone about switching jobs within the same company and they were like, well, what if I go for this role? And it was a more entry level position. I'm like, you may not want to do that because if you go backwards, it may be hard to come back up to the level that you were at, you know, without leaving and coming back again. So that, yeah, definitely is something to consider when you're trying to make moves and, um, but it is important to be true to yourself and to know what you're willing to accept. If it's a cut or if it's a goal that you're trying to reach, it's important to know what your um, go or no go number is. Well, to that point, so I, I had this situation where, you know, as when you start to manage people, you also have to be mindful of their career and how you're how you're guiding and developing them. So like I want to pose this question to you. Um, so you're a manager, a manager of a person. Maybe that person is at coordinator or specialist or associate level, not quite manager, which we know. Um, we're all like excited about getting that next title that oh manager title is like is everything when you're in that when you're in that um, place now here's where the catch 22 comes in that company may not pay market rate you everybody in this company is underpaid Mm -hmm. would you rather be the specialist you know, and, and you like this company, you want to stay at this company. Would you rather have a specialist title and be at the high end pay of that specialist title? Or would you rather be a manager at the low end of that title? So like I've had to make this decision. Um, do you promote somebody and give them the title that they want, Mm -hmm. but they're underpaid? Mm-hmm. And and kind of like blocking themselves from being, again, remember once you're in this company and you have this title, your promotions from your, your increases are going to be according to where you locked yourself in there. Yes. So do you do that or do you take specialists and be on the high end that way? So when you're promoted to manager, you can come in at, you know, like the better market value. Yeah. So again, it's a catch 22. I don't know what you would take, but I try to protect her from, from experience. Like I had to protect somebody and I was like, I think, I know she wants manager, but like, I would rather give her the money 
And then she can get the title and more money versus locking her into manager. And she doesn't now, now you're, you know, goes by and she gets $2,000 more, 3% in, you know, 3% increase for cost of living. Yeah. And she's an underpaid manager and she yeah. still loves the company and wants to stay here. So I'd rather her work to manager and get more when she gets that title bump. Yeah. And I've had kind of a similar scenario where the, that the bonus attached to the title were different. So even target for $5,000 with Mm -hmm. with whatever target goal or whatever. Yeah. So it, and so then that also comes into play where it's like, okay, if I at least get to the next band, then I get a bonus. Whereas if I'm not in that band, then even though I may be making more this year, I'm not getting a bonus or I'm getting a lower bonus, you know? Let's just be clear though, them bonuses. <laughs> they get all those taxes taken out, but. Yeah, you like, oh yeah, my bonus, my bonus is 15,000, uh-huh. 30,000, and you get 50% of that. So yeah. like, it's money. And like, of course, like we're not gonna turn it down. Yeah. But again, in them salary negotiations, you already know that bonus don't get cut in half. So how can we, <laughs> You, you got to keep that a little bit more for that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's important to, and I even try to talk to my people about if you're going to ask for money, don't, don't ask me at like first quarter, you know, like we're having those conversations at the end of the year. Like it's already been determined. You know, there's, there's limited amount of give that I have personally, or that I'm going to go to bat. And especially if, you're not showing me, you know, like above and beyond, like what you're able to do, then um, it's very hard for like a manager to go to bat for you and say, okay, let's, um, let's change how things work and let's try to make it work for this, you know, one person. I like to tell them, you know, like, hey, keep that. I did this folder, you know, so that when we have our conversations, you come to me and you're like, yeah, remember back in January or remember in March. And these are the compliments that I got so that, you know, throughout the year, as your manager's getting ready to go into those conversations that they already know and they've been armed with. Oh, yeah, that's right. We've been talking. I know that this is what her goal is. So they can at least advocate for you. Well, and and the other side of that, like review time is a time for you to really like take note of what you've done. And I know that there was one point in my reviews as a manager that, um, you know, I, we had a new boss. I think she was an amazing leader, but, um, you know, I, I documented data, like numbers, like we work with an agency. So if a marketing campaign did well, like I was taking the uh, above benchmark data and saying like, and we, we ran this campaign and we performed Mm -hmm. above benchmark for this, this, and that. And um, I laid it out in bullet points for every single campaign we worked on that year. And that's the time to show what you've done. And then there's a grace period between you submitting your review and your department head making a decision on who gets like, you know, sometimes there's an extra bonus. Bonuses are weird. There's always like, <laughs> you, you gotta know, like, you gotta try to figure them out. I feel like depending on how good you're doing, there's always an extra. And and then, and then we're going to give you this bonus for this. And you're like, Oh, I didn't even know that bonus existed. What is that? <laughs> so, you know, I, I think it was that year that I laid mm-hmm. out all of my data 
she called me out in a in a team meeting. She's like, everybody make sure you submit your your uh, reviews. And then like after review, she's like, I just want to say, Kelly Roselle laid out her review in a way that I have never seen before. And it was amazing. <laughs> she uh... made it very clear the work that had been done mm-hmm. and, you know, how it succeeded. And I think that that is, you know, something that everybody should consider. So I will say, like, if you are looking for that bonus during mm-hmm. your review period, you could get it depending on if your company has that one person on the team that they may incentivize with 5% versus 3%. Exactly. So, you know, it, it really depends on the company you're with, to be, to be honest, from my experience. Oh, yeah. And I don't want to let us go without talking about your self-proclaimed title of oh, being a millennial miser. I love know? talking about this. <laughs> yes. I mean, I didn't even know, you know, like everybody knew what a miser was, you know, unless you were watching, what was it? Um, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer when the old That's miser was up. where I got it from then. I don't know. I mean, look, I've been called a miser for as long as I can remember like I was like that kid who saved every dollar and I was like I have thirteen dollars yeah. thought I was rich <laughs> but, but my dad my dad had money then <laughs> well mm, you know like brothers and sisters be like yeah let's go to Kelly I, yeah, I was definitely saving money. I was definitely you know sometimes when I look back to my school days I might have been a little hustler with it too <laughs> um like if I wasn't eating somebody be like here eat this and then I'm like all right well I'll just pocket in my lunch money mm-hmm. but um so you know it was definitely it was definitely there was an art to it but there was also so I, I, I think part of it is genetics like my dad is an accountant my dad has always been frugal and uh some of it either rubbed off or some of it is just in my DNA mm-hmm. uh, so that's mm-hmm. yeah I think frugal is the more you know respectable title but i've always been called mm-hmm. a miser and you know I, i'm finally at the point like well you can't slight me with that because i'll call myself that <laughs> well i think even during covid the job market has been uncertain or like those bonuses uncertain not everyone was getting them like you say some people had salary cutbacks and everything but they still had a job yeah. um but people kind of realize what's important and what you can live without so does that come into play when you're like saving your money? Like how do you, how do you, you know, retain what you have? Oof. Um, you know, honestly, it's, so look, if I could look into everybody's finances and create budgets, like that <laughs> would be amazing. I would get so excited if like everybody could tell you me enjoy like, that. how much I make, like, mm-hmm. and then let's look at how much you spend. You know, I think that I've managed in a way, um, I think I can look at church as an example. So like tithing, you know, when they say you should, you should tithe 10%. um, Well, I'm not there yet. I'll be very honest. But the way that they say that you get there is you just, you ease into it. Are you going to start, you know, if you make a hundred thousand, you know, are you going to give 10,000 off, off jump? No, like not to, God forgive me because I was like no um but you know for most people I think you you do need to figure out how to ease into that so like maybe your first year you figure out how to you start with one percent if you've never tithed before Mm -hmm. you know and then like the second year like you 
you work your way up to three and you just ease into it to the point where you don't even realize, you mm -hmm. know, what you're not, what you're spending, what you're not, you've already factored it in. I think budgeting is the most important thing to do in all of this. Mm -hmm. Like, so I, I keep a really tight budget. And when I say tight, it's not like, oh, you can't spend this. It's just like, I know exactly what I spend. Yeah. Um, every month. So that's what I mean by tight. I don't restrict myself, but like I'm mindful. Every month I like I close my budget out. I'm like, well, I underspent between my budget, between what came in, mm -hmm. what my budget was, and what my discretionary income was. If I did not spend it all, that money gets rolled over into savings. So yeah. when the vacation comes, <laughs> I can I can, you know, ball out a little bit with my vacation if the vacation is four thousand dollars also another thing i'll do if the vacation mm -hmm. is four thousand dollars and we're going in november but you got to plan a year ahead i'm breaking that i'm breaking that budget up for by 12. <laughs> for me i think that um i've just always been so mindful that thank god you know the more i make the easier it is and i just have more to save but like you know i remember being at a point walking down the street you know at 22 saying to my best friend one day we'll be able to um just stop at any restaurant we want and go eat <laughs> and that was so it just seems so far-fetched that one day we, we would be able to do that because right. at that point i was making decisions between bacon egg and cheese and metro cards Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think that just start with small things, start with a budget, mm -hmm. uh, get your, get your spending in check, your reality. Like, you know, people will say things like, is spending $400 a month on food, on groceries too much? And it's like, compared to what? Compared yeah. to what somebody else is spending? Because that's not your, but they, they might spend 400 on groceries and zero on vacations. Like you can't it's your race it's it's your budget and and live within your means don't you know don't live one. above your means yeah uh don't That's live everyone above. we should try to live below our means yeah because, i mean you got to be real honest with yourself when you're talking about a budget you have to be yeah. real honest because yeah you'll steal from this you know line item and pay for that you know like i may go and splurge on some shoes which wasn't in my budget but I had eating out in restaurants in my budget. So guess what? You got to chop that off. Yep. You can't just keep spending, spending, spending and be like, huh, why, do, why don't I have any money? You know, yeah. why didn't I reach my goal? Cause you have to be really honest with yourself. Yeah. And, and to be honest, like, you know, in this, in, in this environment now, I will say I've saved a lot more money. I, look, have yeah. I bought some dumb stuff? Yes. Like I, I bought a pair of, um, Jordan golf shoes. Like, Ooh, wee. Now I have like four pairs of golf shoes Did I need Jordan. Do I even golf as often as I would like to have Jordan golf shoes? No. Let me but, golf with you. Let's go golf. I know. Let's, look, <laughs> I need a golf partner in New York, but like, you know, I, I treat, it was a treat. I treated myself on that. You know, I bought a humidifier. I bought blinds. I, <laughs> I have saved in other areas. I've saved a lot on restaurants and bars. Like we have not been going out to eat. To be honest, from March till, um, you know, recently, yeah. like mm -hmm. I, I was grocery shopping and I wasn't ordering takeout. Like my first takeout meal might've been in June or July. 
Yeah. So, yeah. And, and I'm not domestic. So like for me, it was a big change. <laughs> Am I tired of pe- peanut butter and jelly and hot dogs? Yes. <laughs> But is my budget tired of it? No. Mm -hmm. So my electricity bill is probably going to go up and high. So like, and I'm at home 24 hours a day almost. So like electricity is not going to be accounted for in the way that it was before. So those are my COVID adjustments. But I think that I'm so in tune with my budget that like Mm -hmm. all those changes I take into account. And I look Mm -hmm. at it. Like I look at my bank account, I look at my my mint.com account mm-hmm. uh usually once a day. Like yeah. if not, like it's at least like four to five times a week. Like I'm yeah. constantly looking at my finances and making sure I know exactly be familiar. Where I am. Yeah. Huh? I say, yeah, you gotta be familiar with them. You gotta know when yeah. something's out of sync, you gotta know when you need to pull back, you know, you gotta know what you what you yeah. what you're working with. Yeah. And it excites me in, in like a very nerdy way. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a little turn on, huh? To be no, like, I like, saved yeah. money. That is satisfying. I, yeah. I mean, I paid off like one of my credit cards during COVID and I was like, oh, yes. 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 When <laughs> I got this that school loan email where it was like, your loan is yeah. paid off. I was like, yeah. oh, this like deserves a party. Like, <laughs> I'm still going towards that school loan payoff zone. Uh, I was telling my daughter because she's got school loans too. And I was like, look, this is how we're going to work this new interest thing. Like, don't just don't pay. You still need to pay. You still need to put something to it as long as you can. But I'm like, equally important is saving, you know? So yes. we were talking about that budget and I'm like, every time I see her Instagram, she's always at like at a bakery or something. I'm like, you always- That avocado you- toast. Yes, yeah. But I'm like, you know what? Like you were saying earlier, I'm like, okay, her budget may account for the bakery and yeah. mine doesn't, you know, I'm, you know, I got alcohol up the wazoo. So oh, my, yeah, <laughs> my, wine money on that. <laughs> my wine budget is, yes, uh, exactly. Yeah, no, I look, I, I am all about whatever, whatever works for you. Mm-hmm. But I am very like, I, I have my, my, my mobile, my utilities, my, uh, my food, my food budget includes alcohol. <laughs> and so like, if I buy wine, I'm just like, it, it's all, you know, we keep tabs there. It's liquid. It's right. Juice. Yeah, it's <laughs> and it's different for everyone because of course, like if you're just, you know, doing what you got to do to keep going, then, you know, you make different decisions, right. but um, definitely. And that's why knowing where you are and knowing the money that you have and the debt that you have. Budgeting is yeah. important. Yeah. <laughs> telling somebody the other week i was like you can't like it's like a strategy like you cannot plan if you don't have the big picture yeah once you get it in order you can look at it and make really educated decisions about your finances but if you're just like winging it like oh i see my paycheck came in i'm just paying it it's like you you have no clue yeah you you have no clue you literally are like treading water and you're not swimming and going forward you're not like achieving yeah. that goal you can't see it yeah so when you're talking with your girlfriends about salaries do you guys have you guys actually shared your numbers with each other because that's something that people talk about being another way of yeah. knowing where you stand with others as well like sharing your number yeah so my friends um I'm all for that. I'm really transparent if we want to talk about it. I have 
other friends that aren't as transparent, mm -hmm. you know, we'll talk about how much we save every month. Uh, but when it comes to salary, some are just not, some yeah. are, but I find that they're in different groups. Yeah. Like, so I'll have a lot of one-on-ones with people. I think our industries differ. Mm -hmm. So a lot of my girls work on the agency side mm. where that structure, titles, everything is very different. So it's, it's not apples to apples anyways. Mm -hmm. um, I think that there are clear goals. If you just throw out a number, we'd be like, yeah, I would love to make that. But it doesn't, I mean, exactly. the context is very different yeah. um, from what it would take to get there. So like, I think that there are other groups of people that I've talked about it with but my immediate girlfriend mm -hmm. circle, it's just different because it's just one, I mean, I think just people are more private about certain things, but two, it's just a different world. Like one, I do mm -hmm. know, and I think she used me as a gauge for her negotiations. Okay. I was very proud of her negotiations, yeah. uh, but she left the agency side to come to the corporate mm -hmm. side. Yeah, that's where you go. That's where you gonna get the money. At if you you are at a major corporation, yeah. we talk a Fortune five hundred. Ask for what you exactly. want. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I just had a conversation actually the other day with my with another one of my girls who's doing a lot of freelance work, <laughs> and she she they told her to give a number, and she went big, <laughs> and they were like, okay, and she's making like what some people, what a lot of people don't make in a yeah. year, like like she's making crazy money. So like. I think that there's an advantage to talking to your friends about yeah. it if, you know, if everyone gets mm -hmm. open, but also understanding not everybody has that comfortability to have those discussions. Yeah. But I think if you do, you should say it so that way they keep it in their mind when it comes to their next, you know, negotiation. Exactly. So. Yeah. Because like you say, then that can maybe help them when they're ready to do negotiations on their own behalf. Yeah. They have a, a range to like set yeah. it up against. And, and you got to make sure that it's your girls, yes. girls because everyone doesn't need to you, Yeah. Because if you start, some people look at it like you're bragging mm -hmm. and like, but you're like, no, like we're all here to, we're doing this collectively. Yeah. Like we all want to take the same vacations. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, it's all relative, you know, like even someone who's making twice as much as I am may not feel that they're getting paid their worth. So, it's, right. you know, we all are at our own levels in our own, you know, Different, yeah different section there so thank you again kelly roselle for joining me thank you yeah it's been really great chatting with you and i just want to again thank you for um sharing your words of knowledge with us and look at different ways of you know negotiating job offers thinking about ways that we can save our money how we spend our money I, I could talk about finance all day <laughs> like i don't know why but if anybody wants to follow me well i'm on twitter that's my active platform at kelly i got my first name k-e-l-l-e -E. um on instagram it's a little bit more of a turn up uh, less professional, but I do accept uh, followers at K underscore R-O-Z-E-L-L. Oh, that's so. right. Go find Kelly. And no, seriously, I'm about to hit stop and then we can talk about golf. <laughs> Let's do that. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> Well, that wraps up another Improper Mimi episode with moi, your host, Mimi Jax. 
I really hope that you are able to grab some pointers and tips that you can use when you're negotiating those job offers or dealing with your finances. I want everyone to be sure to follow Improper Mimi wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. And also, I must say, I have really been enjoying Girl Trek's Black History Bootcamp. This is a walking podcast and the history and the facts and details that they provide are just wonderful as well. So definitely when you get a chance, look up Girl Trek on um, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Trust me, you're really going to enjoy Black History Bootcamp. Ciao!